try to ah, rip off the mask and get to the task. And it's now it's time to uh, jump into the rotation. Good morning. It's Sunday and it's time for the rotation. I am the medical director of <coughs> Suncoast Normal, Florida. <laughs> Gary Stein, and this is my compadre and atheist, Carlos. I am an atheist, and that that got away from you at the end there. <laughs> Where's your God now, Gary? <laughs> so yeah, I love the intros, man. We got. I mean, I I feel like you know uh, uh, special now every time we do the rotation you know Kano would just and just like you are now live in the rotation Gary like you know introduces and like does a spectacle and I feel like you're gonna do like a dance soon well I, I'm just using my old SEC third class license that I got in 1974 <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to pull out for a while and I do a little DJ work but uh, you know, I'm very excited about today's topic actually you told me about it yesterday and I was really kind of taking it back I mean I heard Tonight, today we're actually be talking about women in cannabis, and I thought to myself, I had no idea that uh, women are in cannabis, but that now that makes me kind of guilty to smoke in front of my wife. <laughs> you see, if for you guys that don't get the joke, he's saying that there's women inside actual weed, <laughs> and then if you smoke it, right, you're smoking women, and it makes his wife feel bad. But anyways, <laughs> today on the show we have an. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's doing his best, guys. Um, I feel like you should just rename the podcast Dad Jokes. Go with it. <laughs> so, and, and we have our special guests there talking about our da dad jokes. This is Mariah Barnhart. I've got, well, you know, I tell, I tell dad jokes too. I've got a couple of things here to introduce Mariah here. One second there. Mariah Barnhart, activist, entrepreneur, can a mom, and can a person. Ooh, is that a thing? Right. Now, <laughs> see, Mariah Barnhart, of course, is the CEO of can a mom. She works on the Hemp Advisory Committee. She's the co-founder of High Heel and a number of different things. But Mariah, of course, you are a lady. You are in cannabis. I figured since Kano was so so uh, fortunate to get you as a guest on today's show that we would talk about women in cannabis today. But so much has happened. I think today's topic is going to go to the United Nations. It's going to go to the MORE Act. It's going to talk about women. It's going to talk about patients. It's going to talk about a bunch of different things. But Mariah, please. I gave you a little bit of an introduction. Please, you know, introduce yourself. Say hi to the guests. Enjoy. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, and as, you know, my approach of women in cannabis does involve everything you just named. Um, I think it's really important that we know and understand that women are just trying to contribute all of those things in the same way that men are. It's just that we kind of get steamrolled. And in Florida, I think we had a really good example of that. We may have, you know, media surrounding this upcoming 2021 and 2022, but women were really integral in getting medical legislation passed in Florida. And then what we got to see afterwards was everybody with money just came in and steamrolled everybody who was uh, a part of that movement and then handpicked some people to be the face or the name of some of these things, but those are really token titles. We didn't really see a lot of women being offered actual leadership positions. They were being used for their knowledge and their connections. And, 
And so we really want to advertise, you know, women in leadership positions. For me, starting in cannabis was, you know, Dahlia diagnosed with brain, brain cancer at the age of two. Cannamoms was just kind of a natural integration. I was working with other parents, primarily mothers. And um, I got to see very early on that some moms were more excited to be in the spotlight. So Cannamoms initially was community for those moms, but quickly became, how do we get these stories out? We saw that it was changing hearts and minds in a way that I've been a lifelong activist on many topics, and I've never seen something so powerful as the logic and heartstrings combined that was uh, being brought to the forefront by the mothers of these critically ill children. And so, when I was trying to create platforms to give voices to these other moms, what I noticed quickly was that certain types of mothers were more inclined to want to be in the spotlight than others. And while we can talk about the personalities that that brought to us, um, what's really important to note is it wasn't primarily brown and black mothers. It was normally mothers who looked like me. I knew early on that I had certain privilege. And if you're born with privilege, you can't help that just like Nobody can help, you know, what they're born with, but it, it is then your obligation to go forward and use that privilege to try to give it to everyone else. And so I would have black mothers coming to me talking about what they felt um, publicizing the use of cannabis for their child would do in comparison, you know, to what it did to me. And what it did to me was devastating. It gave me severe trauma. I was looking out my window for SWAT teams and every time I heard a helicopter, but it wasn't nearly the trauma um, that some people in the society have already endured. Um, and those parents were not uh, comfortable coming out and being in the spotlight and telling their stories. And now seven, eight years later, we see that same thing, but it's more like with the moms advertising that they smoke, and you'll still notice that there are certain uh, moms who will and won't you know, be comfortable in that spotlight. And that's, that's an obvious, we know that the war on drugs is the war on black people. We know that minorities are much more harshly arrested and prosecuted. Uh, we had, you know, one like trial run of blind prosecution out in California. And we're really, we're making a lot of progress. But what we have to understand, these one trick activists who come into cannabis and all they've ever known is, you know, in regards to activism is cannabis. Uh, that's really, really, um, too narrow. Uh, if you come into cannabis and you're profiting off of it and you're owning businesses and you're selling these products and you refuse to acknowledge that uh, people of color have been much more harshly harmed by the war on drugs and you're unwilling to try to help to fix that, I feel like these are things that the cannabis community and even purchasers now, mainstream, widespread purchasers of things like CD products are much more willing to hear and understand and be educated on, you know, supporting people and companies that are willing to acknowledge these things and are willing to try to help change them. We're not just trying to get uh, cannabis scheduled federally because everybody likes cannabis. We don't want Brianna Taylor's, um, you know, happening over and over again in black communities. We don't want uh, mothers like myself early on, one of our big slogans was the war on drugs is killing our children. And very quickly that switched from, we were talking about children not having access to cannabis, things like, you know, cancer, uh, Dravet, epilepsy, etc. 
but that switch to the war on drugs is killing our children in a lot of different ways. You know, where a black mother is worried that her son is going to be shot every time he leaves the house or where, um, like we talked about already, arrests and prosecution rates are so disproportionate. And it's, it's ruining lives and in so many different ways. And so when I think women in cannabis, uh, for years, you know, I've kind of put together, you know, relationships and not even intentionally, but you make friends along the way, you know who's in this for what. And I think that our next big thing we're going to see in Florida is women at the forefront. And before the show, we were talking specifically about, you know, working with all of these moms of critically and chronically and special needs children over quarantine. You've seen mothers, you know, drowning their children on the autism spectrum. You've seen some horrific, you know, suicides, suicide homicides of adult um, special needs children that the parents just can't care for anymore. We've seen isolation like never before and a lack of connection and a lack of community I will drive anyone insane, but especially somebody caring, you know, for a critically or chronically ill child. But, um, you know, moving forward with that, that's where high heels came from in that, you know, we want to help the children and that's what Canna Moms is dedicated to. But if you don't help the moms, those children are going to suffer anyway. The moms really need help. They're dealing with PTSD, severe trauma, but ongoing, not just one harsh experience. This is their life. This is year after year, um, sometimes decades. And those moms really needed help. But informing that, and as, you know, co-founder of that, Yvette Petkovich, former prosecutor in the Hispanic community of Miami, um, as a Spanish mother, former prosecutor, she can attest, you know, from the inside, the, you know, inequality in that system, the disproportionate arrest rates, et cetera. And along with that conversation came a really natural, you know, next move, which was bringing together some of the women who have been instrumental in my, I shouldn't say success, but my emotional success in everything I've done. Um, people who are super educated on these topics. Uh, Tamika Range has been a professor on the war on drugs and its effect on black communities. Yvette Pekovic, as a Spanish woman in Miami, has been a prosecutor seeing the disproportionate arrest rates. Sally Kent Peebles is a part of Vicente Cedarburg. So not only is she an amazing attorney who has probably the most uh, experience with MMTCs in the state of Florida, but her law firm is hugely responsible for the um, campaign, the educational campaign that led up to the initiative to legalize in Colorado. And so bringing all of these women together to form uh, what's going to become, you know, the first, I think, in the nation, women founded, women led, women run adult use educational campaign here in Florida seems like a next logical step. You know, women were so integral in medical and most of these people have really big hearts and know and understand it's not just about patients. But even if it were just about patients, the medical program in Florida is not accessible to all patients. Some patients are disabled and can't travel extend, you know, extensive distances to find the first doctor who's certified. Um, some people don't have the money. This is a very expensive program, and it may not seem expensive to people who live, you know, 
everyday normal middle class lives, but to people who are chronically disabled or who have children with special needs, this program is inaccessible. It's too expensive. But then, you know, there's so much more than that. It's so much broader than that. It's talking about how in America we're living in two different Americas, how here in America, somebody who doesn't look like me is being treated differently than me, how the arrest rates and the prosecution rates and the no knock raids and um, all of these things are disproportionately um, being harmful to uh, minority communities. And if we're willing to acknowledge that, then we have to be willing to help fix that. And how we fix that is ending the war on drugs and approaching this in a, a much more sane and non-racist way. No, I, I, I really admire your approach to this. I just came back from the three days of the MJ BizCon, which was all virtual this last year. And I went and looked at all the uh, presentations that talked about women in cannabis. And it never talked about women doing advocacy in cannabis as much as it was folks like Wanda James, other good folks like Tim Rivers and stuff that are actually making Boku bucks off of the cannabis industry. And we have to remember that patients out of time preceded the National Cannabis Industry Association. Before people started making profit on this, a lot of advocacy had to get done. And one of my biggest concerns is that the profit motive will grow and the need for advocacy will be pushed aside. And we really can't afford to have that because there's so much more advocacy that has to get done. And I don't know why they would actually separate um, women in cannabis from the advocacy versus the versus the money-making part. But it seems like the advocacy part seems to be shrinking at times. Perhaps it's because of lack, lack of being able to gain funds to run your organization, that kind of situation. But there's so much social equity that still has to be accomplished from a plant that actually caused so much negative social inequity. Well, you know, Mariah, you, you said a lot uh, when you opened up, and, and I think that the biggest takeaway the biggest takeaway from what I, what I heard from from a lot of what you said, Mariah, is that um, moms of of children of every age group are affected by the war on drugs. It's just not moms with small kids, you know, who who have debilitating medical conditions. But it's the mom that's worried about, you know, their teenage son being brutalized uh, by the cops over a joint, you know, and there, there, there is so much uh, out there that uh, people are, are worried about, you know, whether or not your kids are going to come home every day from school, uh, whether or not, you know, the, the police are going to treat them fairly. Um, uh, so I, I think uh, I think the war on drugs moving forward, uh, definitely, um, you know, one, we have to end it. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of this uh, legislation that uh, folks are seeing uh, at the federal level come in at. Um, there's also international legislation. We're also seeing our member nations like Canada and Mexico uh, uh, work towards ending the uh, war on, on, on cannabis. You know, uh, we've seen um, the citizens themselves, like the state of Oregon in this past election, uh, vote for decriminalization. And uh, for some people, that seems like a radical idea. But if you look at uh, countries like Portugal or Spain, um, who over the past 10 years have decriminalized, uh, you know, drugs and they've ended their war on drugs, how they see that this focus towards public health, uh, towards relief, towards actually treating and helping people rather than criminalizing them and, and you know, uh, oppressing those d uh, various communities uh, with over-policing makes a lot of sense. And so I uh, really appreciate, you know, all the great work that you're doing, not just for the kids, but to uh, help the various communities that have been harmed by the war on drugs. Yeah, and I wanted to say to Gary's point um, regarding you're seeing kind of advocacy uh, fade away a little bit. 
I think there's a few points to be made on that. And one is just that a lot of people, like I said, one trick activists I've never seen in my life, um, like I have in cannabis, where they're really just focused on one thing and call it a day. And so medical was the end goal for a lot of people who really aren't concerned about anyone but themselves. If they were a patient, they were an activist for this specific cause. Never before and never again just for what they needed. But furthermore, you know this better than anyone. It got very expensive to be an activist, um, to you know <laughs> travel around to all of the uh, conferences, speaking for free. None of us were ever offered to be paid for these, um, you know, speaking engagements, flying, you know, out to open houses and um, grand openings and being in the media. And that those weren't paid gigs. Those were us, you know, out of the goodness of our heart, feeling that we were doing what was right for a broad range of people, being willing to take on those responsibilities. We weren't paid to go to Senate hearings and speak to stay overnight in Tallahassee, to do the behind closed doors, you know, meetings with some of these politicians. And I think a lot of people realized when the people with money came in and started steamrolling them that two things. One, in order to continue to do advocacy, they would have to focus on for-profit. I know for myself, even with high heels, being kind of a for-profit venture that's going to help fund the nonprofit, I've begged for donations for years for these sick children. And I've worked with YMCA in St. Jude and never, ever had a problem fundraising. But in cannabis, it's just not an essential part of um, the inner core of that industry just yet. It will be as people hold these businesses accountable. But it wasn't yet. And there were some great organizations that definitely worked with us, even if we were doing, you know, a small little doctor's uh, education seminar or whatever. Uh, but, you know, the more people that came in, the more people that, that kind of took over and took the spotlights. And uh, we realized that we needed for-profit to fund our nonprofit ventures or our advocacy and activism work. But also we saw that this industry was quickly going to become something we did not want being built off of our backs. And that the only way to really affect change in the industry was to be a part of it and to be an integral part of it, not just to be, you know, an employee of, you know, an MMTC, but but maybe to be somewhere much further towards the center, helping to form it as it grows, because it's really not even formed just yet. Now, if I take a look uh, at the see. The, the, uh, the, uh, the curve in regards, the curve to, in regards to, to how things started coming in as far as money is concerned. We started out basically as a uh, advocate-sponsored uh, business. Most of our donations that helped us get our, our, ourselves out there where we had to go came from other advocates. And yet when suddenly cannabis was actually legal medically here in the state of Florida, those advocates were now spending their money on their medicine. And the cost of medicine is so high that they didn't have the money to give to the advocates they used to have before. And so donations went down. And it, the MMTCs did not always fill in that gap. Those who were making the money weren't necessarily spending on advocacy. And those advocates who were spending the money previously needed it for their medicine now because the medicine was so expensive. And it still is. Well, Gary, that's a great point in that um, what we see with the, with the industry is um, – we don't see industry sponsorships just flooding into to, to normal like that. We don't see that 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 industry connection to the advocacy sector. Uh, what oftentimes what we're seeing is, uh, you know, in-house government relations teams doing the advocacy work for MMTCs for their own particular interest. You know, and oftentimes the interest of what we represent for patients and, and for the people 
uh, can be at odds with people who are uh, working to make a profit and are worried about their bottom line. And that oftentimes is, is going to be the conflict that we're going to continue to see uh, between advocacy and industry. And I think um, the Make It Legal Florida petition is a prime example of that in the sense that many advocates are in favor of having home grow and be able to have their own cheap, affordable medicine right in their backyard or right in their basement or wherever that may be. And yet, you know, the, the Mega Legal Florida petition only legalizes adult use for existing industry players. And that is a major concern that a lot of folks have. So um, that's why you see competing uh, uh, petitions uh, out there. But then again, it goes back to money. There's a reason why Make It Legal Florida is the only petition that is primed to actually uh, cross that million signature threshold uh, to make it over the ballot. But the thing a lot of people don't realize too, and this is um, one of those things, first, not everyone who's signing those petitions and um, who's a part of you know the people that we need to get medical passed or adult use passed, not all of those people are activists. Not all of those people are in our groups, you know, on Facebook and social media. And so there's a certain demographic of people that are just going to sign it, right? Um, then you get, you know, people that are a part of the community, know and understand the nuances of the verbiage, et cetera. But one thing that people, even in this, in this community, you know, activist friends and there's so much that needs to be understood before you make harsh judgments about why you should or shouldn't support or organizations are or aren't supporting certain things. First of all, what we don't like to acknowledge is that a lot of what has happened in Florida, we're a southern state, whether you like it or not, uh, we're a conservative supermajority trifecta, super rare. Um, that's how southern we are. And we've been in one way or another, a Republican supermajority for, so we need one is to work across party lines. A lot of people act like that's selling out or that's, I have always worked across party lines. It's absolutely instrumental to get anything done in a state like Florida. And this isn't a partisan issue. So we need to stop accepting that it is and then running with that. It absolutely is not. It's an issue of human compassion. It's an issue of human rights. It's an issue of freedoms. And it is not a partisan issue. And I think we've done a really good job. Actually, I think last year, the Democratic Party actually took this off their platform um, because it no longer resonated as a Democratic issue. This is a bipartisan issue for sure. And um, in fact, a lot of the support that this issue specifically has gotten has been from the Libertarian Party and um, people who you know think along those lines as an issue of freedom. But um, we also, a lot of what we do is about spotlights and people getting the spotlight. You know, a lot of the time for me, and you guys know me personally, so you know behind the scenes, like I'm sleeping under booths at conferences and I really hate um, a lot of what comes with that. But I'm asked to speak, um, I'm asked to do media, and at some point early on, I hate the sound of my own voice just as much as anyone else does. I don't watch my own videos, I don't watch my own media, I don't listen back, you know, unless it's something that I need to work on or learn, you know, how to voice more clearly, but um, you know, some people are asked to tell a story or be in the spotlight for certain reasons, and other people really work hard to 
to create a spotlight for themselves. And so we've seen that over the years really be destructive from the inside when someone's not the right voice, the right story, um, and they're not going to resonate with the mainstream, with you know our large Republican demographic or across both sides. So picking the right people to be the voice of these messages is super important. One of the first ugliest things I learned in this specific um, part of activism with cannabis was you know behind closed doors with senators where they're breaking out cigars and laughing about as soon as so-and-so walks in the room, we all vote no because we just can't stand him or her. Um, it's really gross, it's really middle school, but these are things that are important to know so that you know who is or isn't actually making a difference because when you're spending money and resources and time and you're looking at decades of advocacy and activism, you really have to be honest about what has failed and why it failed. Um, and then you also can be appreciative for the people that kept the message going and kept the hype going and kept the energy up. Uh, because in my situation, how would I have ever known that cannabis was being used for adults? You know, I didn't yet know much about children. The CNN documentary for Charlotte's Web, et cetera, hadn't even come out yet. And that was really only hemp, um, high CBD, very low THC products. But I wouldn't have even known that adults had had such success with cannabis and cancer had those people not kept doing what they were doing. Um, so it's really important to try to replicate successes without duplicating failures. And there's been a lot of failures and we have to just acknowledge that. Um, my, you know, myself included and some of my advocacy and early on with Canna Moms and you just try to learn from the failures, not duplicate those and replicate successes at the same time. But um, I think, um, no, I mean, well, that's, I'll leave it at that for that. Well, you're right. You're quite correct that we need seasoned advocates. And that's actually kind of a hard thing to find because number one, advocates who are also altruists often work for free, even though they're not, that's not, it's not in their best economic interest. And I can't tell you how many times I've slept in my car in Tallahassee so I could get to a, uh, a particular voter, particular committee meeting on the next day. And I'm certain that the uh, representatives who I spoke to that day were quite aware that I just slept in my car. But uh, the fact is, we, we needed more seasoned advocates, and yet we are actually working in, in Tallahassee right beside lobbyists. And lobbyists are basically paid advocates who are paid by particular uh, companies in order to push their agenda. And before it was popular, lobbyists would always avoid cannabis issues. Then when it became popular, all of a sudden they were right there alongside of us with money from MMTCs to uh, go ahead and push the agenda of of the businesses as opposed to the business of the patients. I can tell you for a fact, Frank Artillis, who was a pariah of the Senate, he got kicked out for uh, all sorts of racist comments he made at a bar one night. He is now working as a lobbyist in the cannabis industry. Well, and, what uh, you have to remember, I so being in activism my whole life, and this is a harsh truth that um, is ugly. And being somebody who is a hardcore activist, lifelong, many different topics, um, this is something that nobody wants to hear in cannabis activism. It is ugly, but it is true. I have never in any other form of activism. I have a girlfriend out in Hong Kong from, you know, Tampa, Florida also, who's been doing human rights activism there forever, started her own organization, is doing really well. Um, I have, you know, friends all over the world that are very, very heavily steeped in activism of all sorts. And I have never seen more one trick activists believe that they, 
deserve a million dollars for being an activist. So that's one thing that really does. And that's where I was going to stop myself earlier. But that is one thing, you know, you really have to evaluate. There were so many job opportunities that came out with the government um, in the last few years that people went absolutely wild over not getting the position. Um, but they weren't qualified or maybe weren't as qualified as someone else, but felt like it was, you know, the, an insider ugly. And there is a lot of corruption. We have the most government corruption in any state here in Florida. Um, there's going to be a lot of corporate corruption when you have government corruption. But, um, you know, to just deem myself valuable, and this is something with moms that I always went back and forth on. Why aren't people donating to help sick kids? Well, honey, you're not the only one helping sick kids. There's also, you know, organizations that are cannabis friendly but aren't cannabis focused, and maybe people don't trust you and you haven't proven your worth. And, you know, we can't just deem ourselves valuable and then be like, oh my God, these MMTCs are horrible because they wouldn't give me $100 to go to Tallahassee. And I've never in any other form of activism from female genital mutilation to, you know, um, issues on domestic violence to, you know, out at the spring here locally. And I've just never seen in any other um, area of activism where somebody decides they're a full-time activist and deserve for corporate entities to pay them for doing that. Um, you have to be someone that they trust who they believe is going to actually affect change so it's not just wasted money because there are tons of activists who maybe are actually harming a cause helping us not get where we need to go or and maybe you all have good hearts and i've got a good heart and we can all sit around a bonfire and be friends um, but that's something i wish that we could voice in a way that didn't piss people off and didn't offend people because you know i can deem myself valuable all day long uh, but what i a harsh reality i've had to come to multiple times with all of my ventures is that you know not everyone's going to view you how you viewed yourself i can say all day long i'm helping all these families and i'm you know, a lot of what I did was black market and MMTCs have no interest in helping someone, you know, doing black market um, activism, helping families, you know, with illegal medicine and things of that nature. So I had, you know, a lot of come to Jesus moments with myself over the years of you're the only one self obligating yourself to do this work. Stop expecting other people to find you as valuable as you find yourself or as, you know, the people that you're helping you know, may tell you you're valuable to them, but a corporate industry ha entity has to see you as valuable for themselves. And that's just, you know, we can talk all day long about capitalism and selflessness and altruism versus narcissism and selfishness. That's a whole different discussion. The truth of the matter is when you have a corporate entity, they've got to see some kind of financial investment in donation. Let's be straight. I think most politicians are politicians because they are narcissists. Because they have such a high opinion of themselves, they believe that if someone goes out, if you go out there in front of the voters, they will automatically vote for them because you have such charisma. <clears throat> and that's what we're dealing with a lot of times in Tallahassee with these folks. And we're also dealing with, as you mentioned briefly, uh, lobbyists who are not there to promote but to obstruct things that we're trying to do right now. Uh, home grow is, is a particular instance. Home grow may be a downfall for certain MMTCs if they lose their business to people who can actually grow themselves. So you do have people in Tallahassee who are pushing to make certain that home grow doesn't happen. And we, we have a bill, by the way, this year with Southern Coast Normal that does allow for home grow. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> well, what I was going to say earlier about the initiatives, too, is a lot of people don't seem to understand because they're like, I'm not signing this initiative. It doesn't allow home grow. It doesn't allow this or that. In the state of Florida, there are very specific, specific laws as to single subject. If you are going to change the Constitution of the state of Florida via amendment, you cannot include 
any verbiage that allows the Supreme Court to say this is not a single subject introduction. So it has, you can only do one thing at a time. If you want home grow, you're gonna have to introduce that as its own ballot initiative. And you know, furthermore, MMTC should be supporting home grow because you know, even from a business perspective, if we wanna get gross and uh, corporate here, from a business perspective, you creating the image that you're all for rights and freedoms and that you're gonna get a lot more customers that way because I can grow tomatoes all day long. I've always been allowed to and I don't. I still buy them from the store. And so a lot of people are gonna get into growing as you know, a hobby, a fun thing. They're not gonna grow the right product for themselves. There's, you know, they're not gonna have all of these different amazing, you've got tinctures and concentrates and edibles and all these options. You're not gonna lose customers. Like we're allowed to grow fruits and vegetables all day long and we still, you know, shop every week at the grocery store for produce. Um, but the single subject rule is really important. And I hope that one of the things we can do with this woman-led um, adult use campaign in the coming year is also explain to people that you can only have one subject being introduced at a time in order to get a constitutional amendment approved to be on the ballot. Yeah, Mariah, you know, you bring up a, a, a clear point that a lot of us in the advocacy sector um, have to come to terms with is that it takes money uh, to to be an advocate it takes money to uh, lobby politicians it takes money to sway um, you know elected officials opinions on a lot of these things and and you know that in itself is where the industry uh, has an advantage where you have you know the, these MMTCs that are making dollars you know every single year and and then you see you know uh, nonprofit organizations like ours you know we're struggling for funds and such and and as Gary said before when you go up to Tallahassee you're competing with those interests so you know when when people see uh, interest uh, like home grow that that is very patient and and, and people focus uh, lose out to the larger corporate interests there's a reason for that it's the because of the way our political system is designed um, and, and like you said before, we, that's a whole nother uh, rabbit hole to go down, a whole nother episode and discussion to have over money and politics. But the fact is, is that you got we have a pay to play political system. And so advocates have to be aware of that, which is why advocates have to stick together themselves. You know, a lot of ways. That's why us as a 501c4 being a membership based organization, our members are what, uh, you know, carry the heavy load in, in, in being able to fund the organization and to be able to move things forward. And that's why we as you know, a, a board don't take salaries because we want to make sure that all the money that we're getting goes back into the organization and goes into our advocacy work. And well, also I, with politics, timing is everything. And if you have a bill that's coming up, if you're not there to support it, it's gonna go on without you and possibly fail. And if you don't have any money supporting you yet, you either sleep in your car and do it because you're an altruist and an idiot most likely because you can't afford to pay the rent afterwards. But the fact is you want that bill to go through and you know that if you wait for someone to go ahead and support you, uh, it's practically like the situation is holding you for ransom. Well, I kind of want to take a broader approach to our topic because I, I'm hearing a lot about how, uh, you know, efforts, uh, you know, on the state level and, uh, you know, uh, how things can, can kind of like, if we support one thing, it kind of brings us back. And uh, it's actually kind of uh, the MORE Act passing recently has kind of like brought some thinking into, in, into my head here. Uh, what a great topic. <laughs> well, thanks, Gary. It's almost <laughs> like you told me like we should start talking about the MORE Act. I actually did. I, I, did it, I did it in a very subtle way. I kicked it. But, 
but here, here's the thing, though, is that the Morag passed Congress, and I think we all agree that it's kind of a symbolic thing. Um, and I, I know for a fact that everybody that's on this program right now supports legalization and decriminalization of cannabis. I also happen to know that everybody on this show has fought tirelessly here in Florida to make sure that medical cannabis patients have been represented and have had a say. And um, quite honestly, what the MORE Act does, and people please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it decriminalizes canna- cannabis on a federal level. It drops it off the schedule, off of, yeah. And, uh, but it also taxes cannabis on a federal level. 5%. And although it reinvests those taxes back into the community, uh, you know, We for Warriors Project has recently come out saying that uh, even though those taxes are going to a good place, it's kind of counterproductive because uh, right now cannabis patients are already overtaxed so much that they're going to the black market. And it almost seems to me that any step forward is going to take us two steps back in all the work that we've done uh, to provide medical cannabis to to uh, patients. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to want to think uh, to ask you guys what uh, are we ready even to move forward? Should we like fix the problems that we have going on now? Uh, is the legalization of cannabis at this point a good idea? Okay, well, let's just talk about the More Act for just a second. The More <laughs> Act is the best cannabis bill that has ever passed the House floor since 1972, which was the last time that a bill actually got to the House floor, and that was the Controlled Substance Act. Yeah. So we actually have had nil movement in, in federal government towards this. So yeah, it's not the best bill, but it's the only bill that we've gotten so far. But that said, this is the lame duck Congress. People who are there right now are not up for election. And so therefore, it's easier for them to vote for a controversial bill, especially when congressmen know that it's never going to get to the Senate. And so therefore, if they vote for this bill, they're essentially safe. But the MORAC does have some issues with it. Like you said, it imposes a 5% tax, which is supposed to be reinvested at some time into the community, not necessarily now, not necessarily next year, but that's the way federal bureaucracy is. And it sets up a federal regulatory system on top of all the state systems. So it's actually wrapping red tape with a big ball of red tape. And so therefore, it's got issues with it. But now we have a chance to take it back into committee and fix it and tweak it before it gets reintroduced in the next session, which starts in January. So the fact that it didn't pass or that it won't pass and that it did pass is a good thing. It's a seismic shift in the Congress to actually take up a committee and uh, bill into committee and actually pass it on the House. So bravo for the folks who actually did that. And they did it just to get their platform out and not necessarily to make changes at that time. But the changes are coming. And in in some circumstances, and you're cutting out just a tiny bit in my, it's my end, I'm sure. So if I repeat anything, I'm really sorry. But um, I'm only, you know, in some settings, it's appropriate to be more honest than others. And so in this setting, I don't even know what this is, actually. It's like my good friends (laughs) have me on the phone. So I'll just be like super honest. Uh, we knew the MORE Act wasn't going to go anywhere. And we know that. So Brandis will be introducing a bill here in Florida um, when session starts, before session starts. Um, the MORE Act, we knew that the House was going to pass it. And we knew it wasn't going to go any further. And so everybody's kind of celebrating these things. We'll be really pushing Brandis's bill. Because you can always hope. Like, we did work for the MORE Act. Um, there were there was a lot of sketchy verbiage, like deschedule this. That's all we need the federal government to do. Get your hands off of it. 
Okay. In my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions, that's the ultimate goal. Decriminalize, deschedule, get the government away, right? Especially on a federal level. Now all these states have their programs, um, get the federal government out of here. Um, so the more act in that regard had a lot of sketchy verbiage, but you know, it's not going to pass the Senate. And anyway, um, it was still really important. And why is it gonna be important to support Randis's bill? Well, because there's a 99.9% .9 chance it's not gonna go anywhere. But during session, while media is picking all of this up, you're putting a spotlight. This is now a litmus test for politicians, whether you give two shits about cannabis or not. Um, if you could never in your life hear the word cannabis or marijuana or MMJ again, if you've never needed it, never had a family member who's used it, um, and all it is for you is a litmus test. Some of these politicians know and understand that they are elected to serve the will of the people. And then some of these politicians believe that, you know, God is appointing them to be leaders and control everyone. We don't care your opinion on cannabis. We don't care if your brother was an addict, if you're traumatized, if you have a personal experience with it. You, that's not your job. That's go to church and talk about that. Your job is to do what I tell you to do. You are my servant. Um, so these elected servants, it's just a litmus test. What are they doing based on the will of the people? In a state like Florida where DeSantis comes out saying, not under my watch, what you're saying where 65% has, you know, are, of people are polling as being for this, you're, you're literally saying, you don't care what the people you're elected to serve want. This is your opinion, and that overrides the will of the people. So keeping an eye on these politicians, how they vote, um, what they say in the media, what they say publicly, what they say privately, all that's super important. We're at a place in America where a lot of stuff is coming up. We're talking about racism, institutionalized and systemic. We're talking about law enforcement, and we're talking about corruption in government. And we, you strike while the iron's hot. While these things are being discussed, we need to remind people who they've elected and what their elected politicians are or are not doing. So it's going to be super important to support, you know, any effort in Florida legislation, even if we don't think it's going to pass, because the media is going to be there. They're going to be picking it up. You're going to see how politicians are or aren't voting. And just like with medical, we'll know if we're forced to pass a constitutional amendment or not. I'm the type of person who likes to work less. That's just me. I don't know. Um, so if we don't have to pass a constitutional amendment, that would be amazing. But right now, a lot of these politicians are not doing what the people of Florida want, and their personal biases are overriding the will of the people. So it's important to keep an eye out, you know, with the MORE Act, watching how senators vote, watching how the representatives voted. That's all super important so that you know who to and not to elect in the future. In Florida, it's going to be the same thing when session hits and Brandis introduces his bill. Watch how the House um, votes. Watch how the Senate votes. And if we're forced to do a constitutional amendment, because, you know, down south people don't like to change the Constitution. It's just not something we do in the South. And if we're forced to do it, we need to be able to tell people why we absolutely were forced to do it, that our politicians would not help us and would not fulfill the will of the people. Well, one of the good things about state politics is that it's easy for the average person <clears throat> sitting in a home to actually get involved in their state and their local politics because it's not too far to get to. Federal politics, it's harder to get to because, again, D.C. is a ways away and they don't always listen to you. And that, but there's always one more level of politics we, we've forgotten about in the last few years, at least, has been international politics. And they've forgotten about what happened in 1961. 
1961, so for, for those people who don't, who don't know about this, Harry Anslinger, who was still hanging around the White House, and Kennedy didn't want him there because he was contradicting a lot of uh, laws that, that talked about treatment versus incarceration of addicts, said, asked him to go to the United Nations because they were actually considering updating a 1931 treaty that made uh, opium and cocaine illegal. And Harry was thrilled about this because he wanted to get a chance to go to the, the United Nations and actually make it so there's an international treaty in place that makes cannabis illegal, that would, over, that would overlie all the other cannabis policies across the entire world. And he was actually successful in working with that committee to actually add cannabis into what they called Schedule 4 for the UN and make it illegal worldwide, both cannabis and its resins and the plant, in the, and the, uh, plant thereof, that kind of situation. And that was great. I mean, as it was, the United, Nation, the United Nations passed it at that point in time, but it took seven more years for Harry Anslinger to get the United Nations to actually sign on to the 1961 single convention that made it possible. But we've had this since 1967, and it actually was one of the reasons why when the Schaefer uh, report that came out in 1972 that was uh, criticizing the, the Controlled Substance Act, which was built on the, the single convention, uh, <clears throat> we 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 uh, we went. We didn't move forward on anything. In other words, that international treaty has got to fall before United. Really, we 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 can go forward with uh, legalization in the United States. And in fact, Nixon used the argument that since there's an international treaty that makes it illegal for this to be a medicine. Therefore, the, the Schaefer report should be squashed, which actually said that cannabis should not be an offense. So this week, after a three-year process in the, in the World Health Organization and the uh, United Nations, they actually did uh, make a six-part change to the, uh, the Convention of 1961 to actually remove cannabis and all of its resins out for medicinal purposes. So this is not going to affect CBD because CBD was not pure CBD, because CBD was not on the, on the uh, agenda as far as that's concerned. But what it does do, and it does not also affect adult use cannabis, because of the fact that we're talking about it, whether this, the cannabis has a medicinal use. So now it is verified worldwide that cannabis is a medicine. It says it right at the UN. It'll make it easier for so many other countries to say there is no international treaty that's halting us from making this legal. And I think this is what was one of the impetuses that, that Mexico used this last week when their Senate went ahead and went for legalization in Mexico as well. So this, although it doesn't have any teeth by itself, allows countries to go ahead and actually change the laws. And so bravo to the United Nations for fixing a 60-year-old mistake. Yeah, because and so Cannamoms was super, super um, lucky um i like how everyone's like it's hard work not luck like you're so lucky you were born in america right um so cannabis was super lucky i submitted and was approved for um to be a part of the united nations general assembly special session in 2016 and we followed that don't understand oh, uh -oh. it's going to base a lot of what they do or don't do off of federal law. So for a long time, we couldn't get legislative help with statewide cannabis legislation, even for medical, because they were saying, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off, Mariah, but uh, you cut off at the beginning there. If you could repeat what you were saying. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we yes. can hear you fine now. 
I was just saying Canna Moms was really lucky to be a part of the United Nations General Assembly special session in 2016 and we had followed closely before and, and since um, because a lot of people don't understand, you know, your local jurisdiction is going to base a lot of what they do and don't do off state law. State legislature are going to blame federal law. Federal is going to blame international. So these are all really important dominoes. Um, you know, once the United Nations, this isn't something we really super wanted, like it's rescheduling and it's still saying, you know, medicine, which medicines have certain harms, which, you know, I know doctors are probably all for that, but um, we kind of just want everyone's hands out of it. That would be an ultimate goal, right? Um, but rescheduling was super important, as Gary mentioned, because a lot of what we do federally, what Mexico does, what a lot of these countries do and don't do federally, they're leaning on international law and the United Nations. And um, now federally, we have the MORE Act passing the House. Even if it doesn't go any further than that, we've got United Nations rescheduling, which is those two things together are going to really prompt some big federal changes. Biden's campaign hinged on cannabis. Um, you know, he might not just be able to decriminalize as, you know, one entity, but um, he does have a lot of say over the attorney general. And a lot of people are going to want to be on the same page as the president and vice president. And so we're going to see some changes in the next few years. And they're going to be huge because they'll be federal. And then state law will loosen because federal law is loosened. And then our local jurisdictions can continue with decriminalizing and, and things of that nature. It's kind of like a Gordian knot. You have to find the right string to pull and it all starts to unravel. But a lot of times that, that string you have to pull is on top. And in this case, it was the UN. And now we go on to fixing federal and state law. And so we, we have a, a lot of things coming up. Now, in, interesting, one more thing about politics and the UN. Uh, one of those statutes had to do with including cannabis products that had less than 0.2% THC as uh, to be put on the Schedule 1, which is the schedule of, of, of least regulation. And the, the country that hit that hit that the most to try to negate that was Great Britain. And I can give you the answer in, in one answer, one word, Epidiolex, a product from Great Britain, which actually is made from the whole plant and therefore has hopefully less than 0.2% THC. And they wanted to get it off the, off the schedule. They, did, they were not successful. It is on the schedule because they, they were in the minority as far as that's concerned. But it's interesting to see how politics and econo economics mix in with all these kind of things. And Capitalism, we, we politics, corruption, activism, these things are all interrelated. So, I mean, there's so many books that have been written over decades and decades from the 60s and 70s and 30s and 40s even. Um, so I, you know, I hope that everyone takes the time to become educated, not just on these issues, what Gary's talking about now in international policy, federal, how state and federal interact, local jurisdictions, like become educated on that and on activism because activism, this has always been a corporate run country. This has always been under the umbrella of capitalism and all of these things have always been intertwined. And so if you really want to affect change and your actual goal is to make a difference, it's just super important to understand how all of those things work together. And it's also important to know the history of the law so that as an advocate, you know what you have to go after and what things have been tried before, what things have not. So that's why I'm going to introduce this week's reading. If anybody's interested in the book, this is a fantastic book that was written back in 1975 called Reefer Madness by uh, Larry Ratso Sloman. And he goes into great detail about the history of cannabis and, and legislation down to 
the names of every single player and every single piece that was ever written. So if you're into, if you're a junkie into history, that kind of thing, and you want to be a, an advocate, I would suggest you pick up this book. I actually got this at uh, at a book sale for like a quarter. <laughs> but it is an absolutely fascinating uh, uh, dive into all the things that have happened over the last uh, 90 years that have made this plant legal. And we need to know where we were so we can know where to go. Well, Gary, you know, one thing I wanted to highlight for our listeners and our viewers is that, you know, this United Nations vote was very close. It was 27 to 25 with uh, Ukraine uh, choosing to abstain from the vote. Yeah, you go. Some key nations that voted against, um, you know, who wanted to keep the status quo, who voted against changing candidates to a China And so those are major economic powers that, um, you know, do not want to see this. I, I, I find it, like you said before, uh, interesting that the United States, uh, you know, the United Kingdom and Great Britain, um, you know, uh, uh, South Africa, Spain, you know, uh, you know, uh, some of the South American countries like Ecuador and uh, and Colombia all, um, you know, have chosen to reschedule. And in many uh, countries like Australia and others that have medical cannabis systems uh, uh, chose to do this. So I think, you know, what we're seeing is that in the countries that have medical cannabis systems, they are seeing that this is a public health benefit and that the, the barriers to research are because of these arbitrary treaties are because of the exportation of the United States war on drugs. And that has harmed a significant population. Mariah can tell you who, with a sick child, you know, the experience in, in the, the, the heartbreak of knowing that you got to jump through so many hoops to try and use an experimental medicine, let alone one that is considered a schedule one drug. And so if we deschedule cannabis, that's where the things like the Morat come into to play. But to the point that uh, groups like the Weed for Warriors project um, has, you know, it, it's that the, taxing and over-regulation of the market creates a black market and drives people uh, to the black market for a more affordable product. You know, if you have to spend $75, $80 on an eighth of flour, you know, for legally, but then the black market offers you the opportunity for a 30 or $40 eighth, you know, as a working class person, where are you going to turn to, right? Legal cannabis should not just be for the wealthy, should not be for the just the upper middle class. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to go to Johnny in the corner with the balloons in his mouth. They, sometimes he has the discounts that you can afford, and we don't actually want people to go in that direction. But I think if there's one big history lesson we can take out of the UN thing, and, and how important it is to know your history, to know what you should move forward, is that one of the countries that voted against the, the uh, rescheduling of, all, of, of cannabis was China. China, as people know historically, was the first country in the world to take on cannabis as a pharma, as, as part of their pharmacopoeia as an actual medicine in 2000 BC. And yet here they are in 2020 AD saying we need to continue to highly, con highly control cannabis because it can be a harmful sus uh, substance to our people. And therefore, they're trying to block people's access to it when there is where it all began as a medicine. Well, any, any medicine that after you smoke it helps you realize that the government is full of crap and that it's <laughs> definitely a threat to a regime like China. That so is that, a, that's, that's a threatful side effect, yes. You know, I mean, you know, Jackie Chan's own son got caught uh, with a quarter of a pound and they charged him with trafficking. Uh, they were deciding whether or not he was going to get 30 years or the death penalty. And if it wasn't for the fact his father was Jackie Chan and a national hero, I mean, you know, anybody else's kid would have been had the book thrown at him. So it, I, 
This is mainland China or Taiwan? Yeah, mainland China, you know? So, so I think that that is definitely something that, that is a concern moving forward. Uh, Mariah touched on it earlier, you know, the, the pro-democratic uh, protests and the crackdown by China in Hong Kong. Um, so, you know, if we're going to take our cue over whether or not cannabis should uh, be rescheduled or descheduled from authoritarian regimes, we're, we're definitely in trouble, which is why, you know, it's no surprise to see Russia and China vote no for this. But then we see, you know, uh, a lot of the Commonwealth nations and the South American nations voting yes. To point out, Brazil also voted no. So, you know, uh, which is interesting enough um, that you see, you know, these these uh, regimes that tend to have more authoritarian leaders um, still continuing in supporting the status quo. And that's why I hope, you know, moving forward um, with this, you know, strong and powerful group of women who will be directing the the women's adult use initiative, it's, um, you know, the advisors will be a plethora of, you know, different types of people, genders, different backgrounds. But the board of directors specifically is moms. I feel like we're always talking about children when these subjects come up. All of the opposition is about children and harm to children. From our vantage point, the harm to children, whether it's the mothers against the war on drugs who have lost children to addiction, to opiate overdoses, et cetera, or can moms whose children needed cannabis for um, medicinal use, or a black mother who's scared for her son's life, or a Spanish uh, mother who understands that her children are gonna be arrested and prosecuted at a much higher rate um, than my children will be we all have a reason to be invested in this and every great you know huge change in society has been by mom i mean it was even moms like this is a little embarrassing but the reason alcohol was prohibited was because of moms like us um so if we can get alcohol prohibited we can for sure get cannabis unprohibited right um and so i hope that 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 people find value in that that you know hearing from moms about sick children was really impactful early on so now maybe hearing from moms that are coming from all different places of why they're fearing for their child's life for all of these different reasons, all of which revolve around the war on drugs, um, which as now we've talked about, there's state, there's federal, there's international, it's all intertwined. Uh, but hopefully those messages will resonate enough that if they're, we know not everyone's gonna become, you know, a super educated activist. Not everyone's gonna dedicate their life to this. Not everyone wants to know the details, but if the time comes to either, uh, write into your senator or representative, or more easily sign off on a ballot initiative, vote yes, that when that time comes, you'll take into consideration that it's not just one person asking for this. There's not just one person in the spotlight, one person being the voice for an entire movement. You've got all of these different people from different backgrounds and vantage points all asking for the same favor from our neighbors, which is to help us. Well, and it is so great you're taking up all these these topics, and there are so many things that we could be doing at this point in time. So as we're closing up right now, I wish you would just give to us a little summary, reverse off, the name of your group that you're currently working with right now, what they're, what they're going to be called. And, and if you can, tell us what is the agenda? What are your first steps? What are, the, what are your topics you're going to tackle first? I lost her. Yeah. I can't hear her. Mariah, I'm sorry. We're not getting any audio from you. See that government me? interference? Yes. Uh, there, you there we go. go. There you go. Uh, 
So I was just saying, I don't know how much is really supposed to be shared because we're still pre-launch. I know that Sally mentioned um, something about this in our media surrounding the election. So Wiser will be the organization moving forward um, as an educational campaign uh, founded by and run by mothers who are coming from all of these different demographics and vantage points to explain why the war on drugs is killing our children, is harmful to our society, is, um, you know, the backbone of systemic and institutionalized racism in this country, the thing that allowed for private prisons to become a thing. I mean, there are just so many ways in which this war is harming our societies. But like I said earlier, even if you could care less about cannabis and never want to hear about it again, there are a lot of other issues that have been um, built upon the infrastructure of the war on drugs. We need to end the war on drugs, starting with ending prohibition of cannabis. And hopefully people you know, just be, realize that we're just asking for a little bit of help. We just um, are willing to do the work. We're willing to do the legwork. We're willing to become educated, understand, you know, the international versus federal versus state. But we, you know, if the time comes that we need you to write into your legislators or vote yes on behalf of a ballot initiative, that would be the most we would, could ask from our neighbors and community as a whole. And we need to activate our, our, our activists with the proper information. There's so much misinformation out there right now that kind of works against us in the long run when we have activists going to Tallahassee with fake ideas as to what things are. I was told about things about the MORE Act that weren't even in there that people were, were, were touting as a reason why it should be shot down. And that's because there were certain people who were in, in other industries that were inserting those lies in order to make it get knocked down. So... Folks out there, if you want to be an activist, listen to the other activists who are in the belly of the beast because they're the ones who are carrying that packet of real information and not necessarily the YouTube videos that suddenly pop up on your screen in YouTube. Well, Gary, you bring up a good point in that in this day and age, uh, social media as a platform is powerful because it distributes information to folks. But there is so much false information out there that is also distributed that oftentimes, you know, people will repost something and, and take it as a fact. And the truth is that it's not. I mean, uh, it, it takes years of research in many cases to understand the stakeholders, the players and the level of corruption that the war on drugs has exposed, you know, in our government, in our business, in our, our prison systems, in the criminal justice system. And, and the fact is, is that it has become a big business for many of those involved, everyone from uh, you know uh, police departments and chiefs and sheriffs, uh, state attorneys' offices, um, uh, to those politicians that have direct interest um, in these various private prison groups and such. So you know, moving forward, if if you want to do something good for the movement, if you want to help make a change positive society, um, you know, look at the great work that that Mariah has done with the Cannon Moms and such. You know, uh, make a donation and help out. You can become a member of Suncoast Normal. We have. Oh a yeah, contact. you can do that. Yeah, we have a, 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 mem a fantastic uh, membership event coming up uh, for our members. Uh, we have our, our holiday membership chest coming up December 18th. You can go to our website, suncoastnormal.org, and uh, pre-purchase your tickets. Admission is going to be limited due to uh, public safety restrictions. This will not be a, a big gathering. And uh, the admission uh, of the event includes a one-year annual membership to Suncoast Normal and a freshly branded Suncoast Normal uh, mask to protect yourself at the event and in the future. So uh, in addition to your membership pin and your uh, member card for the year. So uh, get your tickets uh, while they're still available. It's really important, 
important to um, support local. So we're talking a lot about that during the pandemic in regards to where you're purchasing things from. But a lot of people who are involved in normal in any way, if you're local to the Tampa Bay area, you should really be a part. This is the only normal um, aff affiliate or chapter that I've ever taken part in. So. And Mariah, do us a favor. We, we've worked together quite a bit in the past, and I'd, I want to make sure that our listeners and our viewers can uh, get a hold of you and support you. So uh, how can they do that? Um, getting a hold of me um, online, obviously, Mariah Barnhart, as I assume my name is spelled on here, um, <laughs> on Instagram, Facebook, those messengers or Mo at Canamom. So that's M-O, the first two letters of my name, at Canamom, C-A-N-N-A-M-O-M-S.com. All right. Fantastic. And by the way, we are going to be selling the uh, the new Suncoast Normal masks pretty soon, which are like the one I have right here, which is a, a, a three-ply cotton with a nose bridge on it. And uh, we'll have the Suncoast Normal logo right smack dab on your nose to let everybody know that you are a proud member of Suncoast Normal and you're willing to make the change. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And I just want to make sure oh, and that protect you from COVID everybody too. knows that admission to our uh, membership member sesh is going to be the price of becoming a member of Suncoast Normal. What a coincidence. So it's almost like you get a free event just for signing up for Normal. It's awesome. Right here at Chillum in Ybor City, the yeah. home of Victor Lakata. <laughs> <laughs> so that that price is twenty five dollars for the event. And Gary, I think uh, you should take us out. Okay. And first off, we want to thank uh, our uh, our great friend Mo Barnhart, who has taken all of her trepidations and turned them into activism, and that makes her a great lady of cannabis and in cannabis, if you want to call it that. And of course, our director, Kano, who has that clock above him, which is always, for some odd reason, on 420. <laughs> and of course, Kano, the, the great atheist vegan god of Tampa cannabis, and myself, Gary Stein, political director. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we can't wait to see what 2001 uh, brings, because I am damn sick of 2020. And that's it. We're just going to end it there. We're going to end it right there.